0: I'm tall enough for the microphone, right? I'm not sure. Okay, just checking. Thanks, Don Jay. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. We're glad you're able to brave the rain. Uh, youth and children, you're dismissed at this time uh, to meet aside. And for the rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles and our Bible apps to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to be taking a break from the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to spin the wheels in reverse this morning and look at the birth of Jesus Christ. And the Gospel of Luke goes into detail regarding his birth. So that's where we're at right now. Luke chapter 2. And if you're there, we'll pray and then get underway. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the rain that you've been providing for us that we've needed for so long. And as we study your word this morning, we pray that you would teach us, speak to us, and minister to us especially. And we pray for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. When you were a child growing up and it was Christmas time, did you ever receive a gift that you had absolutely no interest in at all? I can remember Christmas time being a child. Each year, the family would get together, and we would each get our gifts. And I would open one of the early gifts, and it would never fail. It would be something like socks or underwear or something like that. And I wouldn't say it out loud, but I would just think, oh, thank you, Mom. (laughs) If you've ever seen the movie A Christmas Story, you'll remember it's the story of a kid named Ralphie who wanted a BB gun for Christmas. Later in the film, it's Christmas time. And the family's getting together. Ralphie and his brother are unwrapping their gifts. And one of the earliest gifts that they get, if you remember the scene, they each get socks. And they look down at the socks, look at each other, and then toss the socks aside. That's the way I felt about gifts like that. Now, my mom knew best. And the reason she knew best is because she knew that I had a need for those gifts. There's a gift that's been made available to everybody that some people don't realize they have a need for. And it's this, to have their sins forgiven by a holy God and to spend eternity with him. That's a need that everybody has, and yet some people don't realize that they have that need. Well, that gift was made available to us when Jesus died on the cross, was raised from the dead three days later bearing our sins upon him and as a result those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior we've been forgiven of our sins and we're assured that we're going to spend eternity in heaven but before Jesus could go to the cross he first had to come into this world that's the beauty of Christmas that's what Christmas is all about it reminds us of Jesus coming into this world to set into motion a series of happenings that will lead to us being saved and forgiven of our sins. Now, no doubt you know the story of Christmas. You know about the birth of Jesus. But sometimes it's good to be reminded of certain things. And the Christmas story is one of them. And I'm not talking about Ralphie and the BB gun, I'm talking about the birth of Jesus. We're now two weeks away from Christmas. And it's especially important to be reminded of this story because there are good reasons to be reminded. and I'm going to touch on them when we get toward the end. In the meantime, let's look at the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Christmas story. We begin by looking at his birth. Look at verse 1, Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So we're first told that there was a census that had taken place and Quirinius was governing Syria during this time, during the reign of Caesar Augustus. Now according to the Jewish historian Josephus, Quirinius was governing Syria around 6 to 9 A.D., and a census had taken place at about 6 A.D. But we're reading about something that had taken place earlier, a census at an earlier time. And so this might raise a question for some, was Luke wrong when he mentioned that Quirinius was governor at this time? Because we're looking at before 6 A.D., at the time of the birth of Jesus. And so this might stumble some people. Well, in the 18th century, there was a stone that was discovered near, um, near Rome, and it had an inscription on there. The inscription mentioned that it was in honor of a Roman official stating that he was twice governor of Syria during the reign of Caesar Augustus. It doesn't mention who this Roman official was, but many believe that this is in reference to Corinius which would mean that he governed Syria twice. Not just during the time that Josephus did, but it's believed that he also reigned before 6 AD. And that would point to this time that we're looking at, when this census is taking place at the time of the birth of Jesus. There were a couple of reasons for having a census. One of them was to assess military strength. It was a way to gather numbers of people and to find out how many people were able to fight and to be in the military. Another reason for the census was for taxation purposes. The Roman Empire loved to tax people. I'm not sure if circumstances are any different today as far as government trying, wanting to tax people. That's a whole other discussion. Anyway, it was customary for others to return to their home for the census. Now, Mary and Joseph were living in Nazareth at this time, but that was not their original home. They originally lived in Bethlehem, the city of David. And so Joseph and Mary had to leave Nazareth and go to their old home in Bethlehem to participate in this census. It was a requirement. Meanwhile, Mary was also pregnant. And it didn't happen because of Joseph. They were betrothed at this time. It was a commitment to marriage, but they weren't married yet. They were formally agreed to it, but it just hadn't happened yet. And they didn't come together yet to have a baby. Mary first learned of her pregnancy months earlier when an angel revealed it to her. It wasn't through anything ordinary. She didn't find out from any initial signs of pregnancy like nausea or fatigue. It was an angel that told her this. And that angel said, rejoice. Highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, Mary was startled by this appearance of the angel and by what he said. I mean, this is not something that happens every day. And this angel reveals that she will have a child and that she's to name the child Jesus. The name Jesus means Savior. And he would also be known as Son of the Highest or Son of God. And that there will be a reign, he will have a reign over a kingdom that will have no end at all. Of course, Mary's puzzled by all of this because she had not been physically intimate with anybody, including um, her bride-to-be, Joseph. And so she's puzzled. And so she's asking, how's this going to happen? And so the angel tells her. She says that the whole, or the angel says that the Holy Spirit's going to be upon her. It's going to be a miraculous Virgin birth. Now, when Joseph learned of Mary being pregnant, it certainly startled him. And he's trying to figure out some way to separate her, separate from her without causing any kind of a scene. Maybe she thought that Mary betrayed him, seeing somebody behind his back. Um, It would create false gossip. But there's no question that Joseph was concerned. Well, one evening, this angel appears to Joseph and says, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Go forth with this. It's the Holy Spirit that's responsible for Mary being pregnant. Don't worry. And he also was told to name the child Jesus. So Joseph obeys what the angel says. While they're in Bethlehem, again, they're there for the census. Now Mary is in labor. And it's time for this baby to be born. There's no room at a local inn for her to have the child there, so she goes elsewhere. One early tradition suggests that they were in a cave, and that may have possibly happened, that they went into a cave to deliver the baby. Um, It's also possible that it may have actually happened within an animal stable as well. They have the baby, and they put him inside of a manger, also known as a feeding troll. That's what was used to feed livestock, and it was ideal size for a baby to be able to, to use as a crib. Now, God's hand was in all of this because two prophecies in the Old Testament would end up being fulfilled, and we're going to look at these momentarily. Before we do that, now that we've looked at the birth of Jesus, let's move on now and look at the announcement of his birth. The announcement. Look at verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold... You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now our attention shifts over elsewhere to a group of shepherds that are out in the field. They're watching over their flocks at nighttime in the field and it's believed that shepherds would do this to provide livestock for animals that were sacrificed in the temple remember this is during a period of time when under the mosaic law animals would be sacrificed for various reasons such as a sacrifice a sin sacrifice and such and so the shepherds are believed to have provided the animals that they were watching over well you think they would be on good terms with the religious establishment but they weren't in fact they had a bad reputation among them in general, they were they had a bad reputation because they were considered to be dishonest and not trustworthy. And the work that they did in shepherding their livestock, they were considered to be ceremonially unclean. So of all people, think about this, of all people that God decided to first reveal the birth of Jesus to, he reveals it to this group of people that were looked down upon by others, mainly others of the religious establishment. You might think he might reveal this to others that would seem more worthy to hear of his birth at first, but that's not how God worked. He chose to reveal it to people that were looked down upon as outcasts. God does not always work in ways that we would expect him to, and that's because his ways are not our ways in Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 through 9 it says this this is the Lord speaking for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways says the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts see God is not obligated to work in ways that we would expect him to He's not obligated to do it according to our expectations. You ever put expectations on God to work in a certain way and in a certain time, and then when he doesn't, you get disappointed? That's what happens, and it's easy. If we keep these things in mind and we look to him to meet a need in our lives, when we look to him to meet a need in our lives, if we don't put expectations on him to work in our way and in our, li- in our timing, It can protect us from a lot of disappointment and bitterness. And that's very easy to happen when he doesn't work in your way. He's not obligated to do that. He didn't work in ways that we would expect him to back then, like revealing the birth of Christ to these shepherds, people that were looked down as outcasts. But that's what he did. Now... God revealed the birth of Jesus to these shepherds by using an angelic being. We don't know who this was. Um, There was an angel named Gabriel that told Mary months earlier that she was pregnant, but we don't know if this is the same angel that's revealing the birth of Jesus to these shepherds. But when the shepherds saw the angel, how did they react? It wasn't like, whoa, look at that. That's so neat. That's an angel, right? No, they were scared. They were frightened. They were panicked. In the original language, it says that they feared a great fear. Well, the angel calms them down, and he says, don't be afraid. Listen, I've got good news for you. A Savior is born in Bethlehem. It's Christ the Lord. And that's good news for everybody. The the title Christ, it means anointed one or Messiah. And the Old Testament is full of prophecies regarding the coming of this Messiah. All these prophecies were foretold centuries in advance. And anybody that knew of these prophecies that would have learned of the birth of Jesus, they would have had good reason to be excited Did these shepherds have any knowledge of these prophecies? I don't know if they did. If they did, they would have been absolutely thrilled for that reason alone. As I said, two of these prophecies were fulfilled when Jesus was born, and I just want to take some time to touch on this. There's one prophecy that tells us how the Messiah would be born, and it's in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Which says this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, that meaning God with us. So somebody that had not been physically intimate, a female that had not been physically intimate, saving her virginity, she would give birth to this child. Now a side note regarding this prophecy. Some within Jewish circles will deny that this is a prophecy of a virgin birth. And they do that by pointing out the Hebrew word Alma. That's the word translated virgin here. They'll point out that it refers to a young woman of age who's eligible to be married, and it does mean that. But they'll point this out and deny that this is foretelling a virgin birth. Well, a few things in response. Being a young woman that's eligible to be married, that implies having saved her virginity. This Hebrew word is used elsewhere in the Old Testament, and never one time does it refer to a young woman that did not save her virginity. It always referred to somebody who was sexually pure in the Old Testament. Also, regarding the birth of this child, Isaiah said that this would be a sign, something to look for, something to recognize the Messiah. Now stop and think about this. When you consider that numerous young women in the world are capable of giving birth to a child, that's hardly a sign to anybody. But for one woman who had not lost her virginity, who had not been sexually intimate with anybody to give birth to this child, that is an undeniable sign. One other thing regarding this, two centuries before the birth of Jesus, the Old Testament scriptures that were in Hebrew and part of it Aramaic, they were translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, the Hebrew word Alma was translated into the Greek word Parthenos. Well, Parthenos refers to a maiden or an unmarried virgin, someone who has not lost her virginity. So the people at that time had this prophecy of a virgin birth before the birth of Jesus. That is undeniable, point being, this was known at the time. So there's a prophecy as far as how this Messiah would be born, and that was fulfilled. There's also a prophecy as to where the Messiah would be born, and that's found in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So it tells us where the Messiah would be born, and that's Bethlehem. Now remember, Joseph and Mary were living in Nazareth. That was their later home and Mary was already pregnant while in Nazareth. What was it that brought them to Bethlehem? We read about it earlier. It was the census. God used a secular happening to bring about his purposes, to bring about a fulfilled prophecy, his plans. In this case, bringing Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill a prophecy that was foretold centuries earlier and God used a secular happening a census to bring this about this illustrates a truth that's found in Romans chapter 8 verse 28 and I'm sure most of you know this verse which says this and we know that all things no exception all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose you see God can use anything anyone any blessing any setback anything godly anything ungodly to bring about his good in your life absolutely anything it may not always seem like that beforehand but that's how God works and sometimes you can look back at an earlier time in your life and think about how God worked and how God... And you can see how God used different happenings in your life. Things you never would have expected that he would have done. To bring about his good, his purposes, his plans for your life. That's how God works. Romans 8.28. Just like here with Mary. God used this census, the secular happening, to fulfill a prophecy as far as where the Messiah would be born. Now... Whether or not these shepherds knew of the prophecies of this coming Messiah, to have seen and heard this angel must have been quite of an experience and that had to have excited them. And so I'm sure it would raise a question. How are they going to recognize the Christ? They're told of the birth of this baby, but how are they going to recognize him within Bethlehem? And so the angel gives them a sign. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger and then things get even more interested interesting it's one thing seeing this angel reveal these things but then they see a heavenly host a multitude of angels i wonder what that must have been like i don't think you could sit still in all of that and they're saying glory to god in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men or more literally toward men of his good pleasure I could not imagine the shepherds sitting still after seeing all this, after what they just witnessed, after what they just were told. They wanted to see this baby for themselves. And that brings us now to the visitation, where they're going to find this baby. Look at verse 15. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the scene which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. So after having seen and heard the angel, having seen this multitude of angels, how did the shepherds react? Did they just continue going about their business like it was just some ordinary thing? Oh, no. They witnessed something that they had never witnessed before in their entire lives, and now they want to see this baby for themselves. And so they ditch work, which they had good excuse to do at this moment, and they head to Bethlehem. They didn't take their sweet time to get there. They hurried. I don't know how long the trip was, but they rushed to get to Bethlehem. They arrive, and they see everything exactly as they were told. They see Mary and Joseph, and with them is this baby lying down in a manger, just like it was revealed to them. Now, in a sense, these shepherds ended up being some of the very first witnesses of Jesus. The apostles would later be the first witnesses of Jesus after he was resurrected from the dead, testifying of him and his resurrection. In contrast, in a different sense, these shepherds were witnesses of Jesus right after his birth, after seeing the angels after hearing the birth of the Messiah and then seeing the baby with their own eyes, they could not keep quiet about any of this. I don't know if I could either. They could not help but share with other people the things that they had seen and heard. One way that you can be a witness of Jesus Christ is by sharing things that you've seen and heard, or more specifically, the things that God has done in your own life. That's one way that you can be a witness of Jesus Christ. If you've been following God for some time and been saved for some time, no doubt God's worked in your life in various ways, that you can testify to others that you follow a very real God and follow a very real living Savior. And that's one way you can be a witness to Jesus Christ is by sharing these things. You can share how God's transformed your life. You can share with others how God has answered prayer in your life. These things all testify to others of a very real and a very active God. That we're not just reading some book full of stories, but that we're following a living God and a living Savior. Well, these shepherds, they return home, And probably sharing with others back home everything that they had witnessed. I doubt that they could even keep quiet about all of this. Meanwhile, Mary thought about everything that had just happened. And she had plenty to ponder on. Think about it. Months earlier, an angel appeared to her and told her she was pregnant by a work of the Holy Spirit. That's something that's very uncommon. Around that time, she also visited her friend Elizabeth. And Elizabeth had a story of her own. She was up in age and she was barren for years, so long. And then she learns that she's pregnant and that she's going to have a son, that she's no longer going to be barren anymore. That child would be known as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist would lead the Israelites to repentance, directing them back to following the Lord and preparing the way for this coming Messiah for the savior so mary had all that to think about because she heard mary she heard elizabeth share these things then after mary gives birth to jesus here comes this group of shepherds and they're sharing their story of having seen the angel and the multitude of angels and hearing about the birth of this baby and being told where where to find the baby and so mary is hearing all of this as well if you were in mary's position could you imagine what it would be like to dwell on all of this? It would blow your mind. And she had to have known that her child was no ordinary child, but that this was a very special child. That child would grow up and do very special things, ultimately making it possible for us to be saved. Now... Why is it important to be reminded of the Christmas story? I mentioned earlier, it's important to be reminded of certain things. And the birth of Jesus Christ is one of them. It's very important to be reminded of this. Why? Well, I want to close by giving you a few reasons for this. Why is it important to be reminded of the Christmas story? Number one, to assure us that God keeps his word to assure us that God keeps his word. One of the greatest proofs that God keeps his word is fulfilled prophecy. Foretelling something at an earlier time and then it coming to pass at a later time. And as I said earlier, in the Old Testament, there were many prophecies regarding the coming of this Messiah. Foretold centuries in advance that were all fulfilled by Jesus. We've only touched on two of these prophecies. There were many of them. We looked at the prophecy of the virgin birth. We saw the prophecy of how the Messiah would be born. These things all testify that God keeps his word. Because if they were not fulfilled, then how could you trust God if he doesn't have somebody foretell something and it doesn't come to pass? God keeps his word. Some people need to be assured of this. And perhaps that might be you. Maybe you need to be assured that God keeps his word. You might be facing some type of setback or hardship right now, maybe the loss of a job. If you've been following the news over the past couple of months, there are a lot of companies that have been laying off people, especially in this area, a lot of tech jobs. Maybe you're questioning if God is able to provide some help, maybe line up a job for you, meet some other need. Maybe you're waiting on God to answer a prayer, and you're questioning if God is true to his word and able to meet the need, able to answer prayer. Listen, if you're struggling with believing God and that he's true to his word, when you have time on your own, take the time to meditate on everything that we've been looking at this morning. The birth of the Savior, how it fulfilled prophecy, foretelling these things centuries in advance, because these things will remind you and assure you that God truly is keeps his word and some of you may need to be reminded of that and assured of that so that's one reason to be reminded of the Christmas story that God keeps his word here's another reason to be reminded to not get distracted by the busyness of this time of year so that we don't get distracted by the busyness of this time of year it's amazing how early we start thinking of Christmas It used to be that once Thanksgiving had happened, and some of you are old enough to remember this, once Thanksgiving happened, then you'd start hearing everybody talk about Christmas. Those days are long gone. We hear about Christmas much earlier than that. I'll never forget years ago, I was in a bookstore going through books, and there's Christmas music blaring on the PA system. In the month of August, the middle of the summer, I couldn't believe it. Even that's nothing nowadays. You could turn on Hallmark Channel and see some Christmas-themed music or movie any month of the year now. We're flooded with Christmas long in advance, and it can cause some people to start thinking so far ahead to Christmas, and planning and preparations, people to visit, family get-togethers, gifts to save money for, gifts to purchase. And it can be very stressful and we can easily get distracted by all of this. That's on top of other responsibilities that we have just from living in this area. Boy, our lives can be so busy in this area. It's interesting, my wife Ann and I, people that we've known that have left the state of California and have moved off elsewhere, oftentimes they'll mention how their pace of life has slowed down from being out of California. So you've got that and then you've got Christmas on top of all of this. We can get so busy, so caught up in other things, especially when Christmas comes. Let's be careful that we don't get distracted by these things. We need time alone with God, time reading his word, time studying his word, time in prayer with him. And it can be so easy to fall from these things, to get distracted from these things because of this time of year and all the responsibilities that we have. Let's be careful that we don't get distracted by them. Remembering first and foremost what Christmas is mainly all about, and that's remembering and celebrating the birth of a Savior. Finally, there's a third reason why it's important to be reminded of the Christmas story, and that's this, to assure us of God's love for us. To assure us of God's love for us. Some people need to be reminded and assured of God's love for them during this very time of year. Some are away from loved ones. Maybe that's you. You might be away from loved ones during this season of the year. Maybe you're single. This can be a very difficult time of the year for singles because they don't have a companion to be with and that causes them to feel very alone, maybe feeling very unloved. Jesus being sent into this world and later on to ultimately pay the penalty of our sins, that demonstrates the love of God that he has toward us. Now, those of you that watch football, whenever a team kicks an extra point or they go for a field goal, occasionally you might see somebody in the stands in the background holding up a big sign that says John 3.16. And if you know that verse, you know what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life listen if you're a follower of jesus christ and you're struggling with feeling loved during this time of year think about everything that jesus has done for you coming into this world dying on a cross paying the penalty of your sins so that you can spend eternity with him That is how much God loves you. And when you take the time to meditate on these things and think about that, that's the greatest love that you can possibly have. That is how much you're loved by God. But maybe you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. I mentioned earlier that there's a gift that's been made available to everybody that some people don't realize that they have a need for. And that is to be forgiven of our sins by a holy God and to spend eternity with him. Some people do not realize that they have that need. Why is the gift needed? Well, the Bible tells us that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. In the eyes of God, we're sinners. And because each of us are sinners, there is nothing that we can do to earn our way into heaven when we pass from this life. Some people believe they can do enough good deeds to earn a ticket to heaven, but the Bible doesn't testify to that. The Bible does not indicate that that's true. Some people believe that their good deeds will outweigh their bad deeds and that that makes them worthy to go to heaven when they die. But again, the Bible does not testify to this. It does not say this. Just having done one thing wrong in our entire lives will keep us out of heaven. So something had to happen to make a way for us to be saved, to, for us to go to heaven. God had to provide a way, and he did. That's why Jesus came into this world. The Christmas story is wonderful, but that's not the end to it all. This child grew up to fulfill a very special mission. He made it possible for us to be saved. As an adult He would be crucified on a cross, would pay the penalty of our sins, bearing the sins of the world upon him, and then he would be resurrected from the dead three days later. And when that happened, that opened the door for us to be saved and to spend eternity with him. God made available the gift of salvation. That gift is available to you if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. How do you receive it? You believe that Jesus died on the cross on your behalf, paying the penalty of your sins, being raised from the dead to take away your sins, and you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life and to be your Savior and Lord. When you do this, you're going to become a child of God. You'll be forgiven of your sins. You'll have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and you'll have the assurance that when you pass from this life, that you'll be in the presence of the Lord in heaven. At the end of the service, there will be a couple people up here at the front, including myself, that would love to talk with you if you would like to come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you can leave from this place knowing that you're going to be heaven-bound and saved from your sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing Jesus into this world Thank you for all that he did for us. If there's anybody listening that is not saved, I pray that you would reveal to them their need for Jesus to save them for their sins. I pray, Lord, that you would work within their lives and do whatever is necessary to bring them to salvation in Christ with nothing else deterring them, with nothing else distracting them. Please, Lord, bring them to salvation in Christ. And for those of us, Father that need to be reminded of why you sent Jesus into this world, just maybe this this time of year, maybe feeling unloved, feeling alone, or needing assurance that you're true to your word. I pray, Father, that you would minister to those that need to be reminded of these things and assured of these things. Thank you for all that you've done for us. And we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.